you stand in the presence of God's Word. Be patient, beloved, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious crop from the earth, being patient. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. See, the judge is standing at the doors. We call blessed those who showed endurance. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. This is the word of the Lord. I have six really good commentaries on this letter of James, those recommended by the faculty at my alma mater through the years. Three of the authors believe this letter was written by James, brother of our Lord Jesus, a younger brother who became a believer that Jesus was, in fact, the long-awaited Messiah of God. He became the head of the Jerusalem church, and many believe he was stoned to death in 62 of the first century. The other three say there's no way this could be James, the brother of our Lord. He would have grown up at this tiny little place called Nazareth up in Galilee, a little town of 250 people, where maybe 2% could even read or write. And the language of this letter is very sophisticated Greek. Could not possibly have been James. Obviously, we don't know who wrote the letter. We do know what the letter is trying to say. It has only 108 verses, and yet there are 59 imperative verbs. And you learned a long time ago that an imperative verb is one that makes a request or command. This author is saying there are things the church needs to be doing. Why are you not getting this done? Let's take a look. Number one, four times in this brief passage, you heard the word patient or patience, did you not? Patience. For 26 years, I've served on the board of the Knippa Lectures. That's how long we've been in existence. We try to stay two years ahead on our presenters, those we've invited who've accepted our, our invitation. So we're now working on January 25, 2015. I was at the board meeting a few weeks ago. I nominated Dr. John Buchanan. Some of them had heard of the name, some had not. They asked me, would you say more about him? And I said, absolutely. Dr. John Buchanan served for a quarter of a century at Fourth Presbyterian Church in Chicago, one of the most beautiful, powerful churches in our nation. It's right in the middle of that magnificent mile that Oprah Winfrey talked about so often on her program. Dr. John Buchanan became editor of the Christian Century magazine when Dr. Martin Marty retired after many years as its editor. Last January 1, Dr. Buchanan retired from Fourth Presbyterian, continues to be editor of the magazine. I said, we had him at Boston Avenue 20 years ago in our series, and we thought he was terrific. They said, you invite him. So I did. And I got a wonderful letter back from Dr. John Buchanan saying, I remember Tulsa well, I remember Boston Avenue Church well, write me down. I'll be there January the 25th, 2015, God willing. In his role as editor of Christian Century, he writes an editorial every publication, 
And a couple of weeks ago, he wrote that right down the street from 4th Presbyterian is the big department store that was known for decades as Marshall Fields. It was bought out by Macy's chain a few years ago. But he said eight weeks before Christmas, they unveiled their magnificent tree and all the decorations at this big department store. Thousands of Chicagoans, he said, rushed down there to see this display two days after Halloween. And Dr. Buchanan said, you see, we Americans tend to be an impatient lot. He said, I'm reminded every time someone doesn't move when the light turns green in downtown Chicago, every time I'm at Midway or O'Hare and a plane is late, I'm reminded about how impatient we Americans are. We even have a saying, don't just sit there, do something. The first two weeks in December, the playwright David Mamet had two plays running on Broadway. One of them a revival of Glengarry Glen Ross. Perhaps you've seen the play, if not, perhaps you saw the movie. It has one four-letter word 9,862 times, I think. I had never heard that word so many times in two hours in my life, but it's a play that's going to live, I believe, because in many ways it's about capitalism and the American way of life. These are salesmen making cold calls, trying to sell condos in Florida, they're in Chicago. In the movie, Al Pacino played one of the young salesmen up and coming. Jack Lemmon played one of the older salesmen who's lost his touch. He can get somebody to answer the phone, he can make the pitch, but he can't close the sale. He just can't close the sale. Al Pacino is the up and comer. Well, now Al Pacino's nearly 70 years old and he's playing the role of the older one on Broadway. He's lost his touch. He can't close the sale. He just can't close anymore. The other play is a new one called The Anarchist. It only ran two weeks. With all the money that it takes nowadays to get a play onto Broadway, the critics were so severe it closed in two weeks. Deborah Winger had been chosen to play, a big name to lots of people. They say she did well, but she didn't have a play that was really working. It's basically a story of a woman who's been a homeland terrorist and has been thrown into prison. Deborah Winger is a parole officer who's determined that this woman will stay in prison for the rest of her life. And the debate is about that, about violence in America about what do we do with potentially violent people or people who've now proven themselves violent? Will it ever be any better? Here's the key line for today. In that play, Mr. Mamet wrote, but does it make sense to speak of patience when there is no end? We in the church can speak of patience because we believe there is an end. We believe that history makes turns left and right, 
waves up and down, but eventually will move in God's direction. God was in the beginning. God will be at the very end. And that we are to be patiently doing 59 imperative verbs. We are to be patiently doing what believers have been told to do. Number two, the judge is at the door. That's what he writes. The judge is at the door. All of those who wrote in the Christian scriptures think Jesus is coming back next week, surely next month. Even as years begin to pile upon years, they keep, surely next week, surely next month, it's going to get better. But in the meantime, the judge is at the door. Dr. Kroll read with you a passage about John the baptizer. Last Sunday morning, the Reverend Paul Stott read the appropriate lection for the second Sunday in Advent. It, too, is about John the baptizer from a different gospel. Certainly, the gospel writers believed that John was very important to the beginning ministry of Jesus. Luke tells us that God was in charge of this whole drama, that one day God sent one of his angels down to talk to an old woman who had an old husband. An old man and woman who'd been trying to have a baby without success for years had given up all hope, and Gabriel said to her, Elizabeth, you're going to have a child. You will name him John. He will be a great man for his people. The angel Gabriel would appear to another young woman and say to her, Mary, you're about to have a child, but I've never been with a man. Oh, but God can do amazing and wonderful things. And so one child born to a woman too old, another child born to a woman who had never been with a man, cousins making real God's great drama. You remember John the baptizer? When he came, he dressed funny. He ate crazy stuff. He preached down at the Jordan River, just north of Jericho. And people came streaming down that 17-mile road from Jerusalem to hear him preach. And when they came there in great numbers, Luke says, the whole country came to hear John. He said, you brood of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come? I tell you, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And then he told them what some of those fruits were. Do not hire someone and not pay him at the end of the day so he can feed his family. If soldiers ask you to do something, do what's asked of you, maybe a little more. Jesus would embellish that a little bit later. He gave them very specific things because most of the people whom God was visiting were the poor, the humble, the hungry, those who needed a friend, widows and orphans and strangers among them. Be very careful. The judge is at the door. And then he says, strengthen your hearts. In some of the translations I read this week, they translated establish your hearts, which seems strange to me. So I looked up the word establish to see how they must be using it and surely enough, it means to stand firm. Don't give way here. And this author seems to be saying, don't give up the faith, even if it's been a week or more, or a month or more, a year or more than you thought it would be before God intervened in human history. Just keep hanging in. 
Wasn't it beautiful when Sarah sang for us the Magnificat a few minutes ago as our cantor? Luke gives us that passage. He tells us that after Mary had received this word from the angel Gabriel, she sang. And that singing we call the Magnificat. And one part of it is, see how the mighty are pulled down. See how the kingdoms have fallen. Yes, the judge. So hang in there. Those who are abusing those who are killing, those who are destroying, their time will come. And people of peace and goodwill will triumph by the grace of God. Gail and I have had the privilege of being in Florence, Italy, several times. The first time we were there, we were with a busload of people. And the guides take you to some of the best-known sites. You see Michelangelo's David Boy. You see some of the paintings in the Uffizi Palace that belong to the Medicis, they call them in Italy, the Medicis all those centuries ago. But there's a very important place there called the Convent of San Marco because one of the most famous paintings of this moment, when Gabriel spoke to Mary, is there in the Convent of San Marco. It's 600 years old. It was painted by an artist who, when he was born, was named Guido di Pietri. He made his way to Florence, pledged allegiance through the convent. And because of his painting there, he spent almost all of his 68 years there, he's now known in history, art history, as Fra Angelico. Mary, seated on a portico, this artist has never been to Israel. He doesn't know what Israel looks like. It's a Roman scene. It's a Roman building, Roman trees. It's Italy. It's what he knows. But here this beautiful young woman, Mary, and the angel Gabriel facing her. Now, we've seen beautiful paintings of the angel Gabriel, and some of those who painted Gabriel painted the wings to look like those of a, a great goose, a a swan, a duck, uh, not Guido. He imagined Gabriel had descended down through a rainbow, maybe, and the wings are all the colors of the rainbow. It's amazing. But Mary said, the mighty who abuse the poor, the widow, the orphan, the stranger, will be pulled down and God's children will triumph. Number four, those who endure, who are steadfast, who have strengthened their hearts, we call blessed. For the Lord is compassionate and merciful. He will judge injustice, and he will show great compassion and mercy to people who are compassionate, and that word means to suffer with, to suffer with those who are compassionate and merciful, he will be compassionate and merciful. Julie Locke, her husband and their little boy, live in Washington, Illinois. When their little boy, Dax, D-A-X, was little more than a year old, he got sick, 
and a doctor in their small town diagnosed him with cancer. They were encouraged to take him to St. Jude's Research Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee, and they did that. These doctors have made tremendous strides in treating malignancies in small children, leukemia in small children. Their success rates have gone up markedly in the last 30 years. Little Dax was given powerful chemo, took him almost down to the point of death, and then did stem cell transfer. He got sick again, came out of remission, and they went through the whole thing again, this long siege of chemo, taking him almost to the point of death, and then reintroducing stem cells. And a few weeks later, the head of oncology that had been treating him said to the parents, he's not going to make it. I think you should take him home to Illinois and make the most of the next couple of weeks. So they gathered everything up and drove home. As they drove in, it was late October. And in this little town of Washington, Illinois, people had decorated their front yards with pumpkins and corn stalks. Halloween. Julie said to her husband as they approached their house, we don't need Halloween, we need Christmas. We need Christmas. Do you think you could find a tree, maybe some presents while I get Dax settled in? He said, Julie, there aren't going to be any live trees in October. I could find a, an artificial one. She said, do the best you can. And he left. Came back a little while later with one seven feet tall, an artificial one, and they got it all put together. Had little Dax right there watching as they decorated. One at a time, they would go in the other room and, and, and gift wrap one of these special gifts that daddy had brought. And then they had the tree and they sang carols and they let the little boy open the gifts. A couple of days later, they were trying to figure out what might they do now had heard this wonderful aquarium in Chicago, not so far from them. Maybe they could drive to Chicago and let him see all those wonderful fish swimming in the big tanks. So they drove towards Chicago. He was watching Dora the Explorer. And when they got to the aquarium and started strolling him through, he didn't seem interested. Maybe he didn't feel so good. All he kept saying was, Dora. Dora. So they went back to the van and turned on Dora and went home. But as they turned off the major highway into their town, they saw a house all decorated for Christmas. And then another and another. Julie said we started counting them. One, two, ten, forty-seven, eighty-three, a hundred and twenty-three houses we counted because we had a friend named Trish. Trish had come over to see us. She had seen our tree. She had seen the wrappings. And while we were gone, she had emailed as many neighbors as wanted to participate, and 123 of them had decorated their houses. People we didn't even know, names we didn't even know. Just as we approached our house, the end of one garage, someone had strung lights, Christmas lights, spelling out, D-A-X, Dax, the name of our child. We pulled up in the driveway. My husband unbuckled our little boy, lifted him out where he could see these lights all the way down the street. 
the little boy said, pretty? The daddy said, aren't they beautiful? You must be a very special kid because there are a lot of people here who care about you. And Julie wrote, everybody somewhere in the world needs Christmas 